0: the patagonia story is there for one that i'm watching with like eagle-eyed interest to see whether it delivers for the world or whether it's a nice pr move with people who are trying their best
1: Welcome to The Ethical Rainmaker. I'm your host, Michelle Shireen-Muri, and I am so glad to be here today with my guest, Andy King, for a special Current Events episode. You might remember Andy from season one of The Ethical Rainmaker, where we talked to Andy, along with Tom Dufresne, hosts of the Fixing Fundraising podcast. And since then, Andy has been named, quote, the UK's most influential fundraiser by civilsociety.co.uk. Really fancy title. And, you know, in this podcast, we cover a range of topics dealing with the complexity of the nonprofit and foundation worlds so that we can build an analysis and make changes and not stay in that self-serving space as do-gooders accidentally find ourselves in sometimes. So here we go. Now that the queen is dead and Europe has been voting for fascist leaders and the third sector is both falling apart and building new practices, I thought it'd be a good time to check in with my pod crush about what's been happening in the motherland of the colonizers, the UK, and talk about some shit that's going down in the US and in our lives and compare notes. For example, a study from independentsector.org shows that 56% of Americans say they trust nonprofits and only 34% trust philanthropy. Women, though, trust nonprofits 5% less than they did in 2020. Gen Z is noted as being skeptical and sometimes apathetic about nonprofits, preferring direct giving to individuals and causes. And of those who distrust nonprofits and philanthropy, they point to perceived fund mismanagement and cases of corruption and scandals. Neutral trusters say financial transparency and proof of impact are necessary. Public figure endorsements, communicating clear organizational mission, and demonstrating results remain top trust drivers. So. These are wild times for our sector, and I can't wait to talk to you about it, Andy. Welcome to the Ethical Rainmaker.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks for having me back. Um, yeah. As you as you say, it's been a it's been a good year, two years since we've spoken on the rainmaker. Yeah. But I'm I'm really pleased to be here.
1: I'm pleased that you're here and that we get to cover these events. Since we last talked, you've got some updates. You've just hung your own shingle at Fireside Fundraising, where you're specializing mm. in ethical storytelling. You've already begun to work with clients like UNESCO, yes. the Natural History Museum, and St. John Ambulance, three huge names. So NBD with your new profile.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I'm having a good time. What can I say? I, I kind of can't <laughs> believe how well it's going. Uh, but yeah. I'm having a great time and the lessons we can learn about how to tell people's stories in a way that they would want them told is is really honestly it's a privilege to do that work.
1: Yeah, that's lovely. I I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so excited for you as you're like you're literally in like the first week of hanging your shingle and this is already what it looks like for you.
0: Yeah, so far <laughs> so good. Um and it's really great to be having these conversations. We're obviously talking about collaborating in other ways and I just yeah. think there's a lot of potential um and as we're about to talk about the charity sector particularly the fundraising sector is is doing their best and so are the corporate sector but there's still a lot of questions that need mm. to be asked and a lot of like how to's and how to nots that need to be ironed out so there's plenty of work for us both ahead but I'm I'm yes, looking forward is. to doing it together
1: Me too me too I'm I'm thrilled for our audience when I got to visit London for the first time in October, Andy and I actually got to meet and kick it multiple times, which is so fun. Um, makes me an even bigger fan, my friend. And while <laughs> I was there, Liz Truss of the Tory party left oh, yeah. as the fascist that had taken over the office of prime minister. And there are, there are so many headlines to choose from in your part of the world, Tell me about what one of your favorite current event stories is.
0: As you say, there are there are loads to choose from. Yeah. And we could go to like UK politics, but by the yeah. time this episode comes out, we'll probably have another new prime minister and it'll really date it.
1: Yeah. So I am going to pick
0: true. something from over your side of the water instead, Do which it. is the Patagonia quote unquote sale, because it's obviously not a sale, uh, where the CEO of Patagonia has given away their billions of worth of dividends to uh, charities, allegedly. And it's just a really interesting moment to watch as we are really seeing companies kind of taking this lead in purpose-led work. You were talking about trust earlier in the intro. And in the UK, there's something called the Edelman Trust Barometer, E-D-E-L-M-A-N. Yes, I feel like
1: that's the same thing in the US as well, I believe.
0: And this year it showed that the public trust companies more than they trust charities now, which is really interesting. Yeah, Um, And Patagonia are probably one of the companies that are driving that trust upwards. Mm. But it's just a really interesting moment to pause and reflect on why they're doing that and whether it's going to work for them and more importantly whether it's actually going to work for the world in the way that they say it's going to. I'm not necessarily saying it won't Patagonia are an American company and there are complexities to the American system that I'm not super familiar with, but there are a number of comparisons that we can draw to other companies, to other charities that do throw up some red flags. And I think that the Patagonia story is therefore one that I'm watching with like eagle-eyed interest to see whether it delivers for the world or whether it's a nice PR move with people who are trying their best.
1: Right. So Patagonia, some details for our audience. Yvonne Chouinard, owner of Patagonia, decided to give away the company. He's kind of known to be like a out-of-the-box, hippie, rock climber dude who always cared about the environment. Patagonia has run several campaigns to buy land or protect land, especially national parks, especially from our government. They went so far to sue the U.S. government for, you know, basically, you know, stealing resources from its people, which is pretty amazing. And they decided to give Patagonia away in quotes in a trust, but uh the trust will be overseen by members of the family and their closest advisors. It's intended to ensure that Patagonia makes good on its commitment to run a socially responsible business and give away its profits and The New York Times said that there was no tax benefit for what they did, but things are not exactly how they seem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think to kind of get into why we have reason to be suspicious about Patagonia, it's worth looking at a couple of other examples... It is one of those things that just because some companies have done bad doesn't mean that all companies have done bad. I mm-hmm. do think that we should be able to trust some companies. I do think we should be able to trust some charities. But I also think that we should be teaching ourselves to look critically at these kind of things. Mm, and That's right. The obvious company that comes to my mind as a comparison point is BrewDog.
1: Tell us uh, about but- it. I'm not familiar with BrewDog.
0: Okay. So BrewDog are kind of a challenger beer brand uh who came onto the scene in about 2008 2009 with the idea of kind of revolutionizing how beer is made and sold and they have been kind of purpose-led allegedly from the start and again i'm not trying to say that brew dog have never done any good but They have had a pretty boom and bust reputation throughout the years. Uh, And there are, for lack of a better word, scandals just every couple of years in the company's history. They are doing exceptionally well as a business for a brand new beer brand in the UK. They are pretty much as well known as the, the likes of Heineken and Guinness now. And a lot of people really like what they stand for. But there's a quote from The Guardian that says, um, BrewDog's marketing is good soundbites, but not entirely accurate. Mm. And I think it's worth digging into that and how that's led from big celebrated PR moments into like actual just controversy, people uh, boycotting them en masse, staff quitting in droves. Ooh, and there are kind of three scandals from throughout their history that I think are worth picking up on.
1: Um, Give it to us. The three.
0: first is 2010. So it goes back away. There may be a two or three year old company and they are doing really well, but they're doing really well because their marketing is, for lack of a better word, wild. They Ah. are really happy to be very punk. They're very happy to go on shock tactics. And they're Ah. still very happy to do that now. And it was about 2010 when they started to realise that it's not just about beer for good beer's sake. But actually, if they hang their hat on a cause, they're much more likely to make a a splash, make a stand. And so they decided in 2010 to go for animal rights. That was the first thing that occurred to them, that actually the way that beer is made uh, involves the loss of a lot of habitats. Let's go for for animal rights. Um, So they saw um, 12 bottles of their end of history ale packaged (laughs) inside the bodies of dead animals what they decided to sell their beer in taxidermy animals oh with the idea being that obviously these beers wouldn't sell but it was to prove a point that their beer was safer for animals than other beers As you can imagine, lots of people found that very impressive. They were like, oh, wow, I didn't realise the impact of animals on beers. But animal rights organisations, who as far as we can see, were just not consulted at all, were outraged. (laughs) And there's a quote here that says, using shock tactics to get attention is terribly out of date, especially when this involves exploiting or degrading animals. Uh, and Peter referred to the stunt as cheap marketing that was doing more harm than good. It was the first moment at which they realised that they could, in quotes, do good and get good from it, but immediately the problem begins. They're looking for good sound bites with not entire accuracy, as The Guardian puts it, and they're very happy to do it by themselves. There's no charity mentioned, there's no charitable implementation partner, and what that creates is an entire lack of accountability.
1: You're listening to The Ethical Rainmaker, and I'm your host, Michelle Shireen muri Today I'm speaking with Andy King of Fireside Fundraising and the Fixing Fundraising podcast, based in the UK and London, about current events in the third sector. If you love this podcast, you're going to be excited to know that we're soon going to be announcing some collaborations with folks like Fleur Larson, Mallory Mitchell, and Andy King. Stay tuned here on Instagram or on theethicalrainmaker.com for upcoming collaborations. As a consultant, one of the biggest pain points I see is a lack of organization internally. Many community-based organizations, and smaller and honestly sometimes larger nonprofits as well, are using spreadsheets or clunky databases that take a lot of time to use, and maybe your organizational system isn't really understandable to others who need that information. Ultimately, what all that means is that many opportunities might be left on the table. The vision for Neon One is that untapped generosity is unlocked when nonprofits have affordable, connected tech and resources. That's why they've built an entire ecosystem of software and services to make it easy for your nonprofit to create amazing generosity experiences. Visit neon1.com/michelle for more. Now back to the Ethical Rainmaker.
0: So we then go to the 2020 Bloody Good Beer, number uh, 2. Number two, which was actually a really good cause marketing campaign that really did some good in the world, but again, was not without its cost to the partner. It's an ongoing movement for uh, women to receive free or cheaper menstruation products. Uh, Oh my gosh.
1: And they're calling it bloody good beer.
0: They're calling it bloody good beer. (laughs) And in the UK, (laughs) it is very easy to acquire condoms for free. But pretty difficult to get menstruation products for free. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. It's pretty easy to think why that might be. And it's because of which uh, sex uses condoms and which sex uses tampons.
1: Yep. Straight Um, up sexism.
0: So. And
1: our fear of the body.
0: Indeed. And our fear Uh, of blood. And uh, Brewdog decide to to land on this, particularly because the Scottish government make a big move to make menstruation products much more accessible in Scotland. Okay. To celebrate, they launch Bloody Good Beer uh, with proceeds being donated to a period charity, which is in and of itself really cool. However, there are, again, a couple of angles to it that make it look very marketing-led, which is the fact that it was a very limited-time product with very limited-time profits, and it was not the start of an ongoing relationship. I'm all for urgency and time-limited cause marketing and charity corporate partnerships, as long as they're long-term partnerships. This was a one-and-done, hacker trend and talk mm. about it. It did do some good. Except for the fact that they were posing as a feminist organization with feminist leadership, and to scandal number two, which is where questions around leadership, bullying, and sexual harassment from their senior management team break onto the scene. Oh, that's number three, then. Uh, No, so this is still part of the bloody good beer.
1: Okay. Um,
0: And it just gets to a point where staff start leaving in droves, largely because they can't bear the senior management. Wow. The senior management at no point apologise and at no point take credit for what they've done. Mm-hmm. They might have done an apology on the lines of like oh i'm sorry if you feel that way
1: yeah typical like, typical bullshit apology indeed, yeah
0: the typical like i'm not sorry for what i said i'm sorry that you got hurt by it because you're so sensitive i'm sorry right. you, were so <laughs> sensitive. you know uh and that was number two and again it really shook them but not that far and then we start coming into the patagonia space because they then started advertising the world's first and i quote Carbon negative beer, which was basically the idea that they had done carbon offsetting to an extent that by buying that beer, you were planting more trees than carbon being cut down. And I know that a lot of environmental fundraisers saw that as a huge ally, but also a significant threat. Mm. Because why would you donate to plant trees when you could just buy the beer? But obviously, this is BrewDog it wasn't that simple. The claims that they were making were, simply put, overstated to the point that, for example, they said that they had bought 50, let's say it's 50 hectares, I can't remember the exact measurement, but 50 hectares of forest. And they put that everywhere they went. They purchased 37 hectares of forest. And just immediately you start to look at it and you wonder, is it happening in the way that they say it is? And right. again, there's no implementation partner. They're doing it themselves. Oh, no. And then you start to realise that they're applying for trusts and grants to fund oh their goodness. tree planting.
1: Wow. So
0: their, this beer plants trees line becomes immediately inaccurate. Wow. And what that does is create doubt that when you've told me that I'm planting trees, that I'm planting trees, Oof. going back to trust, We don't trust BrewDog, but maybe we don't trust the charities telling us they're planting trees either. Because in my head, it doesn't matter who's told me I'm planting trees. I've been told I'm planting trees and I've been lied to before.
1: And they still exist.
0: And they still exist. And they're (laughs) in the controversy right now. Number four is the Football World Cup. So BrewDog have gone into an anti-sponsorship campaign of the Qatar World Cup. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the kind of controversy around Qatar's hosting of the FIFA World Cup in the US. Oh,
1: yeah. We as a world have no business. I mean, as someone who comes from an Iranian family, right, mm. and all the all, all the things that are happening, um, you know, they attempt at revolution in Iran right now in response to government oppression and the murder of its people. I mean, talk about, oppressing its people qatar also oppresses its people qatar also particularly oppresses women and somehow the world powers have allowed the world cup to be in qatar where i believe women aren't even allowed to attend the games is that right
0: yeah there's a whole bunch of things that are wrong with qatar hosting the world cup mm-hmm. um i'm gay i'm not into football I wouldn't be watching the World Cup even if I thought I was welcome to, which I'm not because gays are not welcome in Qatar. Oh, Uh, shit. Basically, if you're any kind of minority, Qatar is not a place that you want to be. Brewdog have taken, in a quote, a stance against Qatar. And they've done a big anti-sponsorship campaign and their Mm. premier beer, their lost lager, any money sold on lost lager is going to be donated to, and again, a quote, fighting human rights abuses, end quote. No further detail available. Wow. So not only is that vague, but they're doing this big <laughs> anti-sponsorship campaign, except they have made deals with the in-country suppliers. Oh. So BrewDog will be available to purchase at the World Cup.
1: Oh yeah, of course. they can still They can still make money off the World Cup.
0: And their pubs are still going to show the World Cup.
1: They're not just a beer, but they have pubs as well.
0: Yeah, so they started in beer. They branched out to their own pubs. And despite being the capital A, capital S, anti-sponsors of the World Cup, you'll be able to buy their beer at the World Cup and you'll be able to watch it drinking their beer in the UK or wherever else their pubs might be.
1: There we go. What does boycotting look like?
0: And really, we're now at a stage where we can just understand where at least from an ethical or critical thinking perspective, Brewdog are going wrong, which is that they are just making vague claims, getting a lot of PR plaudits. They are very often in the UK news as a company doing good. And then three to 12 months later in getting a lot of PR, getting a lot of negative plaudits, whatever the opposite of a plaudit is, being held up as a company, not telling the truth. And what's wild to me is how many times they have got away with this. And Mm. the fact that they continue to.
1: Wow. It's really stunning that they continue to. But it's almost like our memories for shitty behavior are short when it involves consumerism.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's a really good way of framing it. Because at the same time, if we look at politics, and I, I know we both have a pretty shared politics but if we look back to Boris Johnson and Donald Trump yes if you think about the amount of times that people just got over what they were doing and they were both terrible (laughs) whether it's consumerism whether it's just any form of side benefit to us yes just get over it
1: yeah it's true we get we almost we get used to it and get over it
0: exactly so there are just some warning signs from the BrewDog dog story that come across in the Patagonia piece. There's a quote mm. from the CEO of Patagonia who said, as the business leader I never wanted to be, I am doing my part. Instead of extracting value from nature and transforming it into wealth, we are using the wealth Patagonia creates to protect the source.
1: And who doesn't want to believe in that? You know what I mean? Like, who doesn't Who doesn't want to believe in that? I want to believe that a company exactly. would invest.
0: As, as the Guardian would say, it's a right. pretty good
1: soundbite. It's a really good soundbite. It makes me want to buy Patagonia clothing, which is more expensive than other outdoor brands. Not than all of them, but like, you know, above middle. But it is up there. It makes me, you know, proud to be a West Coaster. I'm pretty sure they're from the West Coast. And... I think in a world where there's so much terrible news, I really want to be associated as a consumer with something positive, which is what they're preying on. But again, just just
0: the soundbite. So we've heard yeah. the soundbite once and it sounds pretty good. Again, said quickly, it sounds great. So good. Until you listen to it back and you hear, instead of extracting value from nature and transforming it into wealth. Or that's what it should say, yeah. Next sentence... We are using the wealth Patagonia creates to protect the source. So you are extracting value from nature and creating wealth. Even the soundbite doesn't actually hold up. Yeah. And it just creates that suspicion, particularly when you look at the charities that they have then given those shares to. Because the shares Mm -hmm. that they've given the charities to are the Holdfast Collective, who do sound great, and... The Patagonia Purpose Trust, who, to me, sound like, I don't know, Patagonia. Yes. And then when you look at it a bit more, you realise that the way they've divided the shares is that most of the money will go to the Holdfast Collective, and that Mm -hmm. is good. But all of the voting rights, every single voting right, has gone to the Patagonia Purpose Trust.
1: And you know who's running that trust? And you know who's running
0: that trust. <laughs> it's, it's family members.
1: Time. Yeah, it's family and it, members and friends. This is another form of wealth hoarding.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> and it's it's power hoarding, right? And mm-hmm. it just immediately strikes us as tokenization. And yes. there's some worries about family trusts that we can get onto in a minute, because we have a doozy of a scandal of a family trust in the UK.
1: Hey, can't we?
0: but it doesn't even need to be a family trust for it to be a problem. You were just telling me about the power dynamics between charities. Do you want to give that example?
1: I have a local story that I've chosen to highlight here because in Seattle, where I'm located uh, in the US, Northwest US, there's a group called For Terra. It's a land conservancy group and they're in deep shit. And part of it's because of this tokenization that you're talking about. And part of it's because... They have not, they, they also are a company who has been losing people in droves. This is what happened. In Seattle, they have been partnering with different organizations, different community groups for years, right, uh, uh, to protect land. Recently, they've gone into uh, creating housing. But recently, they've been accused by an indigenous tribal partner of raising money through misleading this tribe, this indigenous tribe and government sources and tokenizing their partners. The tribe has withdrawn their support and is asking for a review of the grant's application and approval, which likely means that that $20 million will be taken away. Loads of staff, as well as large organizational funders, like our our largest community foundation, the Seattle Foundation, another large uh, organization based in Tacoma. And not only have staff left in droves, But they've made statements together, the staff and leadership of the organization, to point to an internal culture, quote, even those of us who do not have specific knowledge of the situation believe the tribe's allegations about Forterra to be credible because they are consistent with our own concerns regarding longstanding detrimental conduct by the organization's leadership. Now, I've, you know, read the articles that have been written about this situation. I'm about to interview someone who has actually recently left that organization uh, nice. as well. yeah. and what is so clear is that the organization's leadership, the probably the relationship between the board and the ed is what it's looking like from where I sit, has been one of covering up messes. And allowing terrible behavior to take place. Now, if staff who don't even have the specific knowledge of the situation have not only left, but have have created this huge statement, which I'll link to in the show notes, we'll, we'll have receipts for all of this. You know that if staff are willing to make a public statement in, you know, in the news, local and national that they must be at a level of frustration and a point at which they're both willing to leave their jobs, but they've also likely been complaining for years and just never been heard. Now, this is guessing on my part, but you know what happens at many a nonprofit where some bullshit is going on at the board or the ED level or the leadership level, you know, the highest levels of leadership, the staff are calling it out and they're not being heard Whole organizations fall apart this way, but more often it's like the incident at BrewDog you're talking about where where the organization was working or or like so-called working with a period organization and staff left in droves because the organization wasn't actually a feminist organization. They weren't really standing up for women's rights. Their internal culture was one of sexism and harassment, you know, and here we are, a land conservancy organization using their relationship with a local tribe, you know, to tokenize in order to gain funding and staff calling things out for years and not being heard to the point that we are at now. It's wild.
0: But like almost wilder still is that it doesn't seem that rare a story.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. Right. Because haven't you heard this?
0: (laughs) So when you look at Patagonia purpose trust versus the holdfast collective and you see all the ways that the holdfast collective are being used as the marketing partner and the patagonia purpose trust are holding all of the power it just makes you question it makes you question if in 20 years time we're going to get a statement that says even of tho- those of us who do not have knowledge of this specific incident <laughs> believe those claims to be credible yeah and what makes it worse of all, in my mind, is that the Patagonia Purpose Trust, as far as I can see, is made up of the CEO's friends and family. Yes. And we have seen how family trusts go.
1: You're listening to The Ethical Rainmaker, and I'm your host, Michelle Shireen-Miri, in a great conversation with UK's most influential fundraiser, Andy King. It's really clear that Andy and I did not go through a full list or analysis of Qatar hosting the World Cup. For more information, check out the show notes at theethicalrainmaker.com. You'll also see human rights violations, rights involving queer folks, LGBTQ plus issues, climate issues, transportation, cultural and political issues, and interestingly enough, They did not allow BrewDog to serve their alcohol at many of the stadiums. No alcohol was allowed. And I was wrong about women not being able to attend games in Qatar. In fact, that is Iran, where they're not allowed to attend games. And now back to the show.
0: The example I want to give is the Captain uh, Tom Moore charity we spoke about the captain tom foundation on our previous episode that's um, right and the dangers of captain tom moore foundation just in in itself was uh fundraising for the nhs and there are nhs charities who kind of go above and beyond state of the art but lots of people thought they were donating just to the bare minimum nhs and that's problematic
1: right and just to be clear NHS is the National Health Service. It is the entity, it Mm. is the body that provides all health services in the UK. And Captain Tom, as a recap, was a veteran, a military veteran, who during the middle of the pandemic decided that NHS didn't have enough money, right? Yes. And wanted to raise money for this entity that should be providing healthcare to all being government funded. And he decided to... Uh, at the ripe old age of what, like 90-something, 100? He was
0: 99, 99. and he did 100 (laughs) laps of his garden,
1: which at 99
0: (laughs) is no mean feat, right?
1: Right. Oh, for sure. And then he, um, you know, I learned more about him when I watched the YouTube New Year's event special where they honored him by like making a sculpture of him with drones in the sky. And he was one of the UK's like heroes. And in the episode that we recorded that, that at that time, which I'll also link to in the show notes, we were talking about how this was a load of bullshit in itself.
0: Yeah. And the thing about the Captain Tom Foundation is about every six months it gets worse.
1: Ooh.
0: Captain Sir Tom Moore, as is his uh, formal title, is really highly regarded in the UK. He was a real figure of inspiration. There's a quote here where Captain uh, Captain Tom is described as one of the people who spread hope and inspiration throughout the UK during the lockdowns. In fact, mm. we think he's credible for a lot of community spirit. Mm. When he passed away, it was a big deal in the UK. But the charity that was set up off the back of his fame, the Captain Tom Foundation, has been problematic pretty much since inception. It's a family charity because, of course it is.
1: Of course it is. He did this for the NHS, but of course the power is in the hands of the family. Of course that's where I landed. Exactly.
0: And... (laughs) The character at the centre of the Captain Tom Foundation is Hannah Ingram Moore, who is Captain Tom's daughter. However, she describes herself on her website as more than just the daughter of Captain Tom, but a successful businesswoman, a mother and a leader in every field, as well as a public speaker. She goes on to state on her own website, no matter what she puts her hand to, Hannah always looks to give back. Her father's philanthropic spirit lives on through her as she continues his legacy through the Captain Tom Foundation and other causes that she devotes her time to in aid of spreading hope and inspiration to all. But there's something in the looking to give back. And it Mm. kind of rhymes with the soundbite from the Patagonia CEO instead of extracting value from nature and transforming it into wealth. And someone said it on LinkedIn recently. I'll find out who and put the credits in the show notes that if you're giving back... Maybe just stop taking. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe don't give back. Maybe just stop taking.
1: That should be the the theme for all philanthropy, for all philanthropic right? gifts. When I see shit like, you know, again, I'm from the I'm from the Northwest US. Amazon is headquartered here. Google is headquartered mm. here. Microsoft is headquartered here. We have a lot of big tech. We have a lot of biotech as well. We just have so much tech and tech money. And a lot of the practices that our big tech groups are using are so extractive. So when we're thinking about giving back, maybe consider not taking in the first place. Love that.
0: Because you're not going to be able to give back more than you've taken. That's outside of your means. But just stop taking. And Hannah (laughs) Ingram Moore is no stranger to taking. And let me tell you a bit about how. So... The Charity Commission have (laughs) investigated the Captain Tom Foundation a number of times. Damn! And actually, in July 2021, they prevented the foundation appointing Hannah Ingram Moore as its chief executive on a £100,000 a year salary. They said that this was neither reasonable nor justifiable, particularly looking at the fact that she has no qualifications or experience in fundraising other than being the daughter of a very successful community fundraiser. Bear in mind that this is a woman who describes herself as a leader in every field. She feels confident that she deserves £100,000 a year effectively from being related to her dad. And not only was that July 2021 blocked, they had also blocked her previous attempt to appoint herself as the CEO on £60,000 for three days a week. Wow. So that happened July 2021. In August 2021, a month after the Charity Commission, who are our main charity regulator, have blocked her appointment, she becomes the chief executive on the foundation on a nine-month contract worth £85,000 a year. After that contract expired, a new chief exec was appointed, but it just gives you a really clear picture of one of the women who hold a lot of power in that organization. She's happy to be told, no, you can't earn £60,000 for a -a three-day-a-week role. No, you can't earn £100,000 for a permanent role. And she will still find a way to make £85,000 a year for nine months.
1: That is gutsy because it's not, not only have you been investigated and then you try again, not only have you been told by this governing body, which, you know, we should always question governing bodies, but she's been told like, look, you have zero, zero credentials to be able to run something like this. But she continues to try, which leads me to wonder, you know, what is it like to have no sense of self-awareness? or like possible shame, I guess. I don't know, I would be embarrassed for myself.
0: And it's one of those things that like the world that she lives in sounds really nice. Like I would love to be that delusional and have that little shame, but I'm not that person. I'm a big subscriber to charity staff should be paid and charity senior leadership should be paid well. But when you've already been told by the regulator that you're not qualified enough to demand that salary, stop trying. But I want to get away from the point about charity fundraisers should be able to be paid because I do really believe that. And I do believe some yes. fundraisers are worth 100K a year. So, yes,
1: in the US, the uh, salary price points are different because we don't have our healthcare taken care of. We don't have the same political economic system as the UK. So, 100 grand for a leadership position is not uncommon here for sure
0: but let's move away from the pay thing because again i believe charities should pay their staff and if all hannah thinks is that she's great and she's worth it is that a huge crime it's not great but it's maybe not that bad until you realize that hannah is also the director of a private company called club nook and club nook have trademarked the captain tom name meaning that if you're going to use captain tom's name on memorabilia which given his fame and fortune lots of people do there's a captain tom tea towel there's a captain tom walking stick i think there's a captain wow. tom gin it's trademarked by club nook limited which by the, the way it
1: sounds like a kink club
0: It does, right? (laughs) Uh, It does. Or it sounds like Tom Nook from Animal Crossing, but either way, it's not good. (laughs) Yeah. There's a Captain Tom Foundation. They're not the ones with the trademark, nor do they receive any of the kickback. Mm. She's the daughter of Captain Tom, who is honoured to continue his legacy. But she wants any mention of her dad to give her profit not the NHS or the people that it's serving. And again, it just brings me back to the people who hold the power in Patagonia are the Patagonia Purpose Trust. Right. And Captain Tom, seemingly lovely man, really genuine, heart of gold. The CEO of Patagonia seems like a lovely guy. Mm -hmm. Seems like he has really pure intentions. Mm -hmm. Do the people he's just handed power to?
1: Right. And we don't know. Right. This is Captain Tom's daughter who's making all these whack calls, making money off of her dad's name. I'm sure I don't know, Captain Tom, but I doubt that with the kind of reputation he had and what he was saying in the press and what he was doing he may not have had the full analysis of raising money for the nhs as an individual no, he's right?
0: 100 years old right, right. Like, <laughs> he was, was dumb years- thinking and fair enough <laughs> right. maybe he was super smart i never met the bloke but like when i'm 100 if i'm still having to critically think i failed
1: you're listening to the ethical rainmaker and i'm your host michelle shireen miri did you know the ethical rainmaker is now accepting sponsors you can join our community of individual supporters on Patreon, and if you want to find out how to get your name and work out to our ever-expanding community, drop us a line at hello at theethicalrainmaker.com. We would love to have you. Speaking of sponsors, we're so glad Neon One has joined the Ethical Rainmaker fam. Part of the reason I'm grateful for Neon One's sponsorship of the Ethical Rainmaker is because community-based orcs thrive when they put people first. That's the point of community centrism. So what does a community-centric future look like? It looks like focusing on people and not their money, focusing on the experience of connection, of connecting with people. Neon One uses tech to accelerate that experience. Their mission is to connect nonprofits with technology and resources that personalize their generosity experiences. You can learn more today about their work at neonone.com Michelle. And now back to the show. My dad is 83, had kids when he was older, lovely human, just survived heart surgery, which was amazing. We thought oh. we were going to lose him. I talked to him a lot about mm. life, about money, about many things. There's no way in hell that my 83-year-old dad, only 20 years away from <laughs> from being 100, there's no way that he would be okay with me f- making money off of every tea towel off of every mention of you know like appointing myself the leader of his foundation and paying myself money for not having you know not having any credentials or being able to run the organization it's wild
0: and it, it's it's exactly that like it's not what they wanted but by giving up control maybe the people that he has directly appointed he knows really well and they are genuinely mint people. Mint people exist. I'm speaking to one of them right now.
1: Hey, thank you. (laughs) But where does
0: the power go after it's gone to those people? Because it's staying with Patagonia and it's probably staying with their friends or their family. How long is it going to take before the power is in hands that it shouldn't be in and they're still receiving marketing benefits for all the good work they're doing for their tokenistic charity partner? If they truly, genuinely wanted to make a difference, why didn't they give the power and the money over? It just doesn't make sense.
1: You're talking about the daughter being called out by the Charity Commission in August, July and August of 2021. Captain Tom passed on February 2nd, 2021. Yep. You know, so it's just months after she's already being called out. It doesn't take us much time at all to accurately estimate the values perspective of our significant Family members. I mean, I think we're talking about it because these are very public examples of what's happening and how wealth is being hoarded, or how power is being controlled by these different entities. We've talked about uh, BrewDog. We talked about. We started by talking about Patagonia. We're talking about Forterra you know, in, in a different way. I have one more to name that I have to tell you about. <laughs> but it's happening everywhere. These are public stories now. They became uncovered. This is happening all over the sector. And these are just really public examples of it.
0: They are. And I just think we need to start examining big transfers of wealth. yeah, And particularly, again, I I really like to believe in the Patagonia intentions. The soundbite, as a soundbite, is a lovely quote. And if they mean it and haven't thought through the inconsistencies, great. But (laughs) money does have impact on people. I would love to believe that it's going to do some good in the immediate future. But it just definitely warrants continued examination and it comes back to a conversation that we always have. It's not enough to transfer money. You do have to transfer power too.
1: That's right. Something we struggle with everywhere, especially when so many of our organizations and corporations have white leadership. What does it look like mm. to give up power? What does it li- look like to give up power as a white person?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone's all for shifting power until you realize you mean them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Andy, it is such a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, It's been a pleasure to get to know you since our first encounter a couple of years ago. Thank you so much for being on the Ethical Rainmaker and having this real current event conversation with me.
0: Thanks very much for having me, I've really enjoyed it.
1: And that's it for the Ethical Rainmaker. Stay tuned for future events and collaborations with guests like Andy King, with Mallory Mitchell, with Floor Larson and more. Visit us on our website at theethicalrainmaker.com. You can also find out more on Instagram, Facebook, our Linktree, etc. And to learn more about our guest, Andy King, you can visit firesidefundraising.com. The Ethical Rainmaker exists to provide zero-cost information, inspiration, and critique so that we can all do better. And we're so happy to be supported by our community of Patreon supporters and our sponsor, Neon One. If you want to throw some dough our way, you can give as an individual at patreon.com. And if you want to learn more about sponsorship, write us at hello at theethicalrainmaker.com. If you're here for this content, for this body of work, please share this pod. Join our mailing list, engage with us on socials, write us a review. We're here specifically for you so that we can all do better. The Ethical Rainmaker is produced by me and Juliana Mayo with socials by Stacey Wynn Creative and production assistance by Coco Decker. Thank you so much to Andy King for being a white guy in the third sector who has an analysis and for your time and your body of work. Also to Vule for the introduction. As always, find links and transcripts at theethicalrainmaker.com. Our awesome theme song is I'm Gold by Trick Candles, and you can find them on Bandcamp. The Ethical Rainmaker comes to you again in two weeks, and you're going to love what's next.